investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamachko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, investors. This is episode 36 of the Absolute Return Podcast. As always, I am your host, Julian Klamachko. And I'm Mike Kessler. I have a number of market events to talk about this week. Nothing too crazy. We have some macro stuff, some MA, some uh, micro stuff as well. Off the top, we'll chat about this phase one deal that the US and China have reached in an attempt to halt and ultimately resolve the ongoing trade war. Now, does this ultimately mark the end of the trade? war we've been talking so much about lately. Charles Schwab, they're actually allowing investors to trade in fractional shares, which is really cool. It hasn't really happened before. We're going to chat about whether or not uh, individual investors will benefit from this. Some M&A news with Alexion announcing the acquisition of Achillion in a nearly $1 billion uh, biotech deal. What makes this deal so unique? And lastly, we're going to chat about a brief Brexit update. It seems like the UK and the EU have finally reached an agreement. But is Brexit finally going to happen this time? We will see. It appears we've had a development in the ongoing US-China trade war with Trump tweeting out last Friday that the US and China reached a quote, very substantial phase one deal, which would entail China to buy 40 to 50 billion in US agricultural goods, largely soybeans. And in return, the US agreed to cancel the previously announced tariff increases that were set to go into effect this week. What these tariffs included were uh, duties on 250 billion worth of Chinese goods. They're going to increase that from 25% to 30%, but now that is seemingly off the table uh, until whatever new developments we see uh, right now, a very speculative, very preliminary deal. Nonetheless, some speculate that Trump tweeted it out right before the market closed, such that we would get a nice rally on the S&P 500, rising over 1% on the news. So clearly uh, investors liking this thawing of relations between US and China. Who knows if we'll actually get a, a deal out of this, but you know, on one hand, it shows that these parties are talking. Uh, it appears like they are cooperating in terms of getting something done. But we'd like to caution investors. As of right now, this is this is very preliminary, speculative. Uh, we're expecting, or the market's expecting, this phase one deal to be signed next month. However, it could still fall apart. Next step is that President Trump and Chinese President Xi will meet uh, mid-November at a summit of Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation countries, and they're largely expected to sign the deal there. However, you know, there's been a lot of head fakes ongoing in this trade war where you expect signing to happen. It doesn't happen. Market goes down. Trump announced something else, threatens more tariffs. So it's been a real back and forth over the past 18 months, seemingly close to a trade deal many times, but hasn't happened yet. Will this be the one? What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I guess with regards to the agricultural products and uh, and really the, the tariffs not kicking in, so this is really just examples of them not coming to new agreements. It's just stepping back some of their old putative measures that each side came to. 
on Trump's side, it was the increase of tariffs, and on the Chinese side, it was stopping to buy um, agricultural products. So there's no no real winner in this so far. Um, it's just bringing back some of the measures. As you had mentioned, this announcement was right before um, market closed last Friday. So if I was a cynical person, I would think that the timing of the announcement was pre-planned and uh, aimed at juicing equity prices. But uh, Because Trump used his ultimate scorecard as the stock market doing well. Absolutely. He's really put his presidency on like on par with the stock market what how the stock market performs he's really placed his own weighting in that and when the stock market does go down it is being blamed on Powell and, and the Fed right right and some uh, market participants view that as a potential weakness and that the Chinese could capitalize on thus far they haven't done that yet however speaking on incentives here we got Chinese growth numbers out uh, for the last quarter and it fell to six percent missing estimates so annualized growth of six percent it was below analyst estimates of 6.1 percent and this was china's lowest economic growth in over 27 years so clearly this trade war is having an effect on chinese economic growth and we talk about how uh, the stock market is so important to trump well president xi of china what he holds so dear to his heart is economic growth so as those numbers are coming down their, you know, their whole dynasty is really threatened over there. So that's something to keep in mind in that uh, negative economic developments from this trade, trade war and their effect in China is really incentivizing them uh, to also get a deal done just as Trump is incentivized to get a deal done to get the S&P 500 up. Absolutely. And one last thing that I did want to mention on the subject of the trade war is that when they do codify this agreement in the coming weeks, weeks uh, when they finally get it written down is that Trump has one thing Trump did mention is that it will address intellectual property concerns which thus far haven't been a part of the negotiations but from many of the folks in private industry in the US especially in the tech sector this is really top of mind as many of these tech companies in US based tech companies are really trying to break into the Chinese market. But what you're seeing is that intellectual property laws really aren't respected in China, especially not with regards to US intellectual property. Um, so that will be something to really follow to see whether he actually follows through with that because that's something that has a really large impact, perhaps more than many of these other measures. Yeah, that's a good point. There are a number of additional considerations that were not at all part of this phase one deal such as Huawei the uh, Chinese mobile and tech uh, company there's the technology transfer aspect of it the intellectual property and the protection of American intellectual property in China so there's a whole host of issues which is why we're being real cautious on this but like we said uh, this is progress and because of that uh, investors should be happy with it thus far so in a bid to attract a younger clientele, discount brokerage firm Charles Schwab announced that they will be introducing the trading of fractional shares, which is brand new. 
Obviously, uh, up until now, you have only been able to trade in round numbers of shares. Back in the day, it used to be only uh, round lots, being in the hundreds of shares, but now you can trade you know, one share if you want. There's a lot of high-priced shares out there, whether they be uh, Amazon, Apple, Tesla, shares of that nature. But now, you can actually, will be able to trade through Charles Schwab, and I'm sure many discount brokerage firms will follow you'll be able to trade fractional shares. So get a piece of Amazon, which is about 1200 bucks, um, you know, maybe spend 20 bucks on it and get uh, a fraction of that share. So this moves follows a recent elimination of commissions on stocks and ETFs, basically throughout the entire discount brokerage industry. It started with a threat from startup Robinhood and it's kind of proliferated as we previously discussed on the last podcast. Now with commission-free trading the norm, brokers are looking to find ways to attract new clients to boost other parts of the business that could become more lucrative as their investments grow. Basically, they're trying to get young investors before they have a lot of money, get them entrenched on their platform such that when they do have a lot of money that they remain a client. But one of the reasons they did it as I indicated, like Amazon.com is a, it's a very pricey, pricey stock. It's actually almost $2,000 a share. Berkshire um, Class yeah, A. Yeah, <laughs> Berkshire Clash, Class A is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. However, they do have Class B, which is, you know, still quite expensive. Yeah, I believe it's still of, over 1000 Yeah, yeah. And so they're trying to encourage and ultimately just make it easier for uh, investors to participate. There's actually a tech startup called Social Finance. They've waded into fractional trading as well. They launched it back in July. They did this sadly after noticing some clients delayed investing and chose companies based on share price rather than fundamentals. And for like an investor like myself, this is just heartbreaking when uh, when you have amateur investors who are really uh, unsophisticated buying stock based on uh, just the price rather than actual fundamentals of the underlying business. So my thoughts with respect to fractional trading, I think it's actually negative for investors. And here's why. Say you have $50 to invest. Is it wise to be buying a fraction of Apple share or a fraction of an uh, Amazon share. I think it's much smarter for a, an unsophisticated or new investor with only $50 to invest. I think it's much more intelligent to buy a broad-based index, such as the S&P 500 or Wilshire 5000, um, the MSCI Global ETF. These you're able to buy a share for $50 or less. So there's really no need to really traffic in fractional shares, in my opinion. In addition to the elimination of commissions, obviously getting something free instead of paying is great. However, there could be negative effects if it encourages unsophisticated investors to uh, engage in more trading because uh, studies have shown that the more trading you do as an amateur trader, the more money you lose. But what are your thoughts on this development in the discount brokerage space? Yeah, I have a few comments on this, and I guess the first being that this actually isn't quite as innovative as it sounds, is this kind of already exists in a way in the form of just ETFs, index ETFs, is you can buy a fractional portion of the underlying companies of the S&P 500 just through buying the uh, the SPY ETF. Right? A much smarter idea because then you're widely diversified and you own 0.001 of this company of a share of this company, 0.002 of a share of this company, and you get a basket of 
500 of those in one trade as opposed to trading a fraction of one business. Absolutely. And so for the less sophisticated investors, you know, like somebody that doesn't want to put the time into investing, that is the route to go is the more diversification as opposed to, you know, betting it all on Amazon, you know, just based on your shopping experiences there. The other aspect, and this is really kind of the inner piping of the, uh, of the, the infrastructure behind the stock market and exchanges is, you know, this will actually really seems like it would be difficulty, a big difficulty from an accounting perspective, um, looking at who owns what, and especially with regards to voting results and voting rights during corporate actions. Right. As in the past, we have seen during different M&A scenarios where there's a vote, where there will be more votes cast than there are shares outstanding, sometimes right. in a hilarious amount over the shares outstanding. Yeah, that's why fractional shares, they really don't make a lot of sense. From a fundamental business standpoint, if you're invested in a company, um, uh, it really doesn't make sense to have a fraction of a share because one share basically gives you a vote in, in most corporations, right? Absolutely. It, it, with the exception of, I guess, dual voting classes. But for, for the sake of the argument, like, yeah, one share, one vote is what most companies should really strive towards in terms of corporate governance, something that we've mentioned a lot on this podcast. But the last thing I wanted to bring up is that this really isn't free. And so Schwab will, and they always do this, uh, this is kind of part of what they do is they send your order when you make an order on their brokerage platform to a market maker and that market maker has paid them for your order flow so they're known as high frequency traders and so the price paid by investors for a fractional share since you can't go on to the market this this uh, market maker can't go onto the market and just buy a fractional share so my assumption is that you will get a worse execution price by buying these fractional, buying and selling these fractional shares. Yeah, I think ultimately the way it would work is discount brokerage firms like Schwab would sort of inventory all the different fractions in order to make them into a whole share. But nonetheless, uh, when they are farming off your flow to high frequency traders, ultimately the unsophisticated investors get picked off. So it's really not free trades, you're paying that through a worse execution price. Right? Absolutely, and so the question really just becomes, is the cost of this you know, higher execution prices presumably, is that worth the, uh, the ability to trade lower dollar amounts more frequently? Right, and then we gotta also contrast that to the pricing developments over the past 20, 30 years. You go back way back then, uh, stocks traded in, uh, you know, Eights. large fractions, so one eighths, which is, you know, a massive spread. And you also paid huge commissions, you know, significantly. Well, obviously it's now free, but it used to be in the, you know, percent range where you'd uh, say it pay $50, $100 per trade, which is significant. So that is obviously a really, really um, great development for investors there. However, we really caution on unsophisticated investors utilizing these fractional shares to go and buy uh, fractions of companies without really doing any due diligence. Typically, the in that scenario, it adds to inefficiencies in the market, which is positive for professional investors, hedge funds, etc. However, you know, ultimately, the unsophisticated investor will suffer 
And with the proliferation of index ETFs, that's really made the market seemingly quite a bit more efficient because it's taken a lot of the so-called dumb money, unsophisticated investors out of individual securities and into the index where they're not sort of adding to inefficiencies throughout the market. Interesting deal in the biotech space with Alexion Pharmaceuticals acquiring biotech firm Achilleon Pharmaceuticals for $930 million in cash. This was at a 73% premium. Now the consideration is really what we want to talk about here because this is a really interesting one. So Achillean shareholders will get mainly cash, so $6.30 cash per share. And in addition to that, this is where the interesting part comes in, they receive a potential additional $2 per share in the in the future and it's in the form of what's known as a contingent value right or CVR. Strategic rationale behind the deal, well this deal expands Alexion's presence in the treatment of rare blood disorders which has been obviously a big and growing space. Now I wanted to touch on these non-tradable contingent value rights. So this is part of the deal consideration up to $2 in addition to the $6.30. So if investors are paid the full $2, this will represent you know, a significant portion of the consideration, roughly 20%. The way these ones work is cash will be paid to Achillean shareholders if certain clinical and regulatory milestones are achieved within a specific time period. Specifically, there are two upcoming binary events which will occur after the deal has closed, assuming it closes successfully, obviously subject to shareholder vote, subject to regulatory and antitrust approvals, which certainly are no slam dunk. However, the way these contingent value rights work is two stages. So you get paid $1 per share for the US FDA approval, of one drug that they manufacture and another dollar per share if they get to uh, initiate phase three on another drug. So I just wanted to highlight that for investors if they ever come across a merger or acquisition deal involving CVRs or contingent value rights. They are fairly common in the biotech space where you have these pre-revenue biotech companies working on drugs and they find it difficult to value the future potential of some drugs in development. Well, one way they can sort of uh, get narrow that bid-ask spread between the acquirer and the seller is to offer this CVR contingent value right to investors such that they can recognize some of that value down the line after the deal closed. Now we do see this in other industries, right? Absolutely. You, you see them in some of the resource space as well. And really where this comes from is in the private markets when a company is selling perhaps to private equity or to a strategic acquirer is the management team will typically have some sort of earnout where it's just more incentive to ensure that a transition in the case of a small business small private business as they're acquired by the private equity firm so that they're still incentivized to make sure that that strategic gets all of their synergies um, so they could be re revolve around that as well as just overall making sure that that goes smoothly but specific to this deal i mean it was a reasonably large premium and so one thing is that 
these shareholders of the company, um, especially in a biotech company, they typically are bullish on the drugs that the company does have. And so there just needs to be a little bit added incentive to get these people to, these shareholders to sell their shares unless they really think that the company's in dire straits. Right. And so I want to uh, caution investors somewhat on this deal specifically. The market was valuing these CVRs roughly 10 to 20 cents per share. You got to take into account the time value of money. Obviously, they'll take quite a while to to pay off and then you got to risk it. So the market's effectively saying, you know, there's two dollars ultimately up for grabs. We're only going to sign a 10 to 20 cent percent probability of that occurring. Uh, in addition, we don't see these only in biotech, although that's probably the most common. We have seen this, as you indicated, in resource plays. One recent one was uh, when ExxonMobil bought InterOil and they issued investors a CVR on the amount of resource in their assets uh, that were located in Papua New Guinea. So that's another example of where a uh, company pays out shareholders and then further down the line, uh, once that value is established on this additional asset, they can come to terms and pay out uh, additional consideration for uh, the true value of that assets. But cautioning investors here, these are non-tradable such that the deal closed, you're effectively stuck in them, can't trade out, they're just gonna stick in your account and you just got to wait and hope for the best. Big news on the Brexit front. Now, is the finale finally here? Well, let's chat about it. What happened was uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson of the UK, his government struck a draft deal with the EU, the European Union, for the country's exit from the bloc. Basically, the deal, it's subject to a high stakes vote in British Parliament to become effective, and that's happening on Saturday, or by the time listeners have heard this podcast, it would have already happened. This deal came together seemingly in the nick of time because Brexit was set for, or they're going after the uh, October 31st Halloween hard Brexit deadline. Now, just to give some listeners uh, some background here, the original Brexit referendum was held in 2016. So over three years ago, it's been delayed twice. So it's kind of been nonstop news in the market for a number of years. It's caused all sorts of volatility in currency markets, equity markets, fixed income markets, and a lot of global economic uncertainty. So if they could finally sort this out, that would be incredibly positive for investors all over the world. Now, why are they trying to do this Brexit? Why is the UK trying to leave the EU? Well, the proposed deal would leave Britain freer to set its own rules and strike its own trade deals independently from the EU, which was really a key demand of Brexit supporters. Had some quotes from a couple involved in the deal. So the European Commission Chief Jean-Claude Juncker tweeted, it's a fair and balanced agreement for the EU and the UK, and it is a testament to our commitment to find solutions. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson also heralded the agreement. He tweeted that the negotiators had reached a great new deal. Now, this accord has been endorsed by leaders of the other 27 EU countries, so that seems all good and well. However, it does face a formidable challenge in winning the backing of Parliament in the UK, which is really the last hurdle that they have here. 
And one political party uh, said it wouldn't support the deal. So it's really uncertain whether they're not going to get Brexit done on the vote on the weekend. However, you know, investors will be watching closely uh, this Saturday vote on this Brexit deal. Uh, some market action, the pound sterling, the UK currency was kind of all over the place, volatile rallying, tanking back. Um, so a lot at stake on this Brexit vote and this seemingly close to being done Brexit deal. What are your thoughts on it and the implications? Yeah, so just going back to some of the terms and over the last month, what the EU and the Boris Johnson administration, what they were negotiating over is the main sticking point seemed to be ensuring that there was no land border in Ireland between Northern Ireland and Ireland. Um, and so that was a main issue as well. Looking forward here, I guess, to Saturday, is you know if it doesn't make it through the house of commons uh there's really two options there could be another referendum um with over the terms or another election now johnson would prefer an election because he does actually lead in the polls currently but you know ideally for the sake of for the sake of the uk this is something that really needs to be in the past for the country this has been over right. three years um and then as well so if on the other side if it does make it through the house of commons uh it would be a transition period for the next 14 months while they uh move into negotiating a trade agreement with the EU. Um, so that would be the first step. And then they would start negotiating trade agreements with other countries. Right. The work just begins. And would like to mention the other scenario, if this vote does fail, is a hard Brexit, a no deal Brexit on October 31st, which would be very uh, economically destructive but not just the, the UK, which would bear the brunt of it, but also the EU. I mean, it would be tough on both sides. And I believe no one is really interested in a hard Brexit, a, a no-deal Brexit. So that looks unlikely. Uh, if it passes, um, they exit the EU with the deal. They still got a lot of work to do, but market participants will obviously like that. That'll relieve a lot of tensions globally and really get past uh, that hurdle that the market has been dealing with for the past you know, three plus years. So I guess uh, investors will be paying close attention on Saturday as to what happens. And from there, um, then hopefully that's the end of the Brexit story and we have to stop worrying about it, stop talking about it. But if it isn't, then uh, I guess we get to look forward to more market volatility. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch the futures price action over the weekend, regardless of the scenario as, you know, over the weekend futures volumes are lower. So the price price movements are more amplified. So that'll be something for, you know, if uh, folks have, have, have some spare time to take a look at the futures prices. And that's it for our latest episode of the Absolute Return Podcast. If you like it, you can always check out more at absolutereturnpodcast.com. And if you really liked it, be sure to give us a review, tell your friends, colleagues, co-workers, family about it. Until next week, we will chat with you soon. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com.
The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.